We're so happy to be connected with Ben Greenfield today and explore some of his insights on fitness. He's an extraordinarily knowledgeable and fit person. He has a very interesting history. There is no one that I personally know that reads more books than Ben. He reads one book a day, 300, about 350 books a year. I, I thought I read a lot at 150 books, but he's, he's got me beat by a long way. And well, the majority of the majority of them are Captain Underpants, Diary of a Wimpy <laughs> Kid. I try and keep yeah. them with a very large font and, and many pictures. Yeah, we know that's not true. <laughs> and you might wonder how uh, I get a lot of the ideas I have and inspirations, and even some of the guests that I've had on in the past. That's from Ben. He's um, I first met him a few years ago when he actually interviewed me, and I was extraordinarily impressed with his insights and his understanding of health. And uh, I follow his site regularly because he's got some of the most intriguing insights into health and fitness. And he is a biohacker, one of the top biohackers in the United States, and uh, introduced me to a number of biohacks, of which I, I think we should start off on. Then we'll go into some of the other things that we can talk about. You know, one of, Ben, I haven't discussed this with you, but I think one of the most important books I've read in 2017 was Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, I believe is his name, who is a research scientist in, in California. And yeah. have you heard of him before? Have you read the book? I, you know, I, I read an article about the book. I haven't picked up the book yet. I believe oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's on the Kindle somewhere, but yeah. Yeah, it is phenomenal. I think everyone watching this understands that the importance of sleep, but I was seriously misinformed as to how important it was. It may be more important than the food we eat. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is because Ben introduced me to a device, which I think anyone who's serious about their health should pick up. It's called the Aura Ring. That's O-U-R-A. And uh, they are most likely by the time we air this interview, they will have introduced the Generation 2 Ring, uh, which is one of the best, it, not one of, it is my view, and I believe Ben's too, the best fitness tracker on the market for a number of reasons. And I'll let Ben go into the reasons why, because he introduced me to it, and I've been using it for nearly two years now, thanks to Ben. And here's, here's my current Gen 2 Ring. Yeah, I, I found it in Finland about three years ago. I was at a, at a biohacking summit over there. I believe I was one of the first people to, to purchase one, really primarily because I love the idea of fitness tracking. Not only does it, you know, it's nice to have that carrot at the end of a stick to get your 15,000 steps in at the end of the day, and sometimes quantifying it is a little bit of an extra motivator. Uh, but also, as you've alluded to, sleep is incredibly important. And when I looked at the sleep lab data, that they've done on this ring, including some some pretty uh, some some pretty compelling internal documents that they sent me when I when I wound up questioning them via email about the true accuracy of it. It's it's surprisingly close to sleep lab data. You know where you go to these sleep labs and you get all the the electrodes hooked up to your head to monitor your brain waves. It it, it gives you uh, data that's relatively comparable to that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, th I think they did their assessments at the Stanford Sleep Lab, which and it had like a 95% correlation factor, yeah. which is impressive. Yeah, exactly. I believe I believe it's called a plasmiography, I believe is the is the Pol or poly polysomnography, I think. Yeah, polysomnography, polysomnography or or plasmiography. I okay. I don't remember exactly, but uh either way, uh even more important than than the sleep data though and the exercise tracking data you know, and, and heart rate, body temperature for women who may want to track their cycles, heart rate variability, 
uh, would be the fact that unlike a, a Fitbit or a Jawbone, uh, the Bluetooth uh, can be disabled and there is no Wi-Fi. So uh, there's there's far less of a chance of you being constantly bombarded by non-native EMF, specifically from from Bluetooth signaling. You know, when you look at a Fitbit or a Jawbone, typically it's a believe it's a class one Bluetooth signal that's sending out every one to three seconds in search of a device to pair with. And I wasn't that comfortable. You know, if, if you think about the two ways that you sleep, I was thinking about this the other day, right? I sleep with my hand up by my head or kind of like tucked down by my crotch. So it's either my brain or my balls that would be getting <laughs> Bluetooth all night long while I sleep. So I, I flip it into airplane mode. It's a little, initially it's a little bit of a pain in the butt. You know, you got to take the ring off for 30 seconds and put it back on to reactivate it. Uh, but I don't mind that. It's just something I can do in the morning. So, uh, so yeah, I, I like it as a tracking device. It works pretty well. Yeah, and one of the other things uh, is that uh, it uses an infrared sensor, unlike some of the other tracking devices to measure that measure heart rate, which use green light, which we know is not a good idea to have on your body while you're sleeping. So infrared, right. of course, you can't see, and it's and it's extraordinarily accurate. And the the yeah. Gen One device has had the problems with the the Bluetooth synchronization, but Gen Two is supposed to be a lot easier, so you can set it to times a day because the Gen One devices tend to go out uh, uh, periodically, consistently. And I have to check mine every day to make sure it's still not in Bluetooth mode. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, the only advantage of the Gen 1 is that it does look like it came out of a cereal box. That <laughs> kind of a mystical power associated with it. So unfortunately, you'll probably have to give that up for the smaller Gen 2 that's coming out. Yeah, which looks like a, a wedding ring. It's about the same size. It has longer battery life and uh, just a lot better features. So it's just amazing they're able to provide that. So it's so it, that's a tangent. It's a device. It's not terribly expensive. It's well worth the investment. It's probably the best biohacking device that I know of and I think that I'm aware of because what we need, I mean, you you offer so many different ways to optimize your health on your site and your regular podcast and your articles. Uh, but what we need is a standard, and I want to talk about two of them today, Aura Ring is one and then heart rate variability testing is another. Uh, but before we go into heart rate variability testing, the just want to mention that you can get these metrics that you can do these these biohacking interventions, changing your diet, sleep patterns, exercise, however you want to want to change it, and then you can see its impact on your heart rate variability. Your and what we didn't mention that the Aura Ring does is it also gives you recovery index to let you know if if you're exercising, if you're working out too hard, and this should be a rest day, and that's when the magic from exercise occurs during the rest. And most people, many people, overexercise. Yeah, to a, to a certain extent, with the caveat to that being that I will purposefully, if I'm looking at my heart rate variability or my readiness score from the Aura Ring, or if I'm looking at it from, uh, you know, there, there's another app that I use called NatureBeat uh, mm -hmm. that I'll, I'll test my HRV with, my heart rate variability uh, in the morning. Uh, and, and the reason that I use that as just about the only other device that I really would use for self-quantification occasionally, you know, Aside from the you know the occasional ketone or glucose measurement, uh, the reason for that is that unlike the ring, it allows me to delve into both sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system strength, meaning what's mm -hmm. called your your uh, your low frequency or your high frequency power, and that allows you to see which element of your nervous system may be affecting your heart rate variability. 
And it also allows me to, if I want to, as an athlete, because I still, I still compete professionally in obstacle course racing uh, for Reebok on the, on the Spartan Pro Team. And that means that there are certain periods of time during the year, especially leading up to important competitions, uh, where I purposefully uh, sustain a low heart rate variability for a number of days, uh, typically anywhere from three days up to a week, after which a week you, you really start to see an increase in propensity for injury or illness. But that's called a super compensation. So rather than overtraining, uh, all, all you're doing is just a little bit of under recovery, uh, meaning that you're, you're purposefully digging yourself into a, just a bit of a hole. And if you look at you know, some, some of the best training books that exist, you know, like uh, Tudor Bampa is kind of an old school guy who wrote some of the better books that exist on periodization. For example, periodization is based on this concept that you don't maintain peak fitness all year long. You don't maintain peak readiness all year long. You have periods of time if you're specifically trying to perform cutting edge where you're digging yourself in, into just a bit of an under recovery hole. And then by allowing yourself a, a taper after which, uh, during, during which time you, you really engage in a lot of, uh, advanced recovery body to kind of bounce back from that, that slight amount of overtraining, you super compensate, you wind up even more fit than you would have been in the first place. So I will, uh, I'll test my heart rate variability, but I, but I sometimes will, uh, I'll, I'll train through uh, a low readiness score or low heart rate variability for that reason of, of increased fitness long-term. You just have to be careful with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's uh, nature beat uh, app, which is available on both uh, Android and iOS, but actually works much better on iOS. And I would not get it on Android because it just really doesn't work that well. I've tried it. So it's made by Sweetbeat, and I, I'd highly recommend it. I think it's a very useful tool and uh, thank you for uh, recommending it and making that available. So one of the things I neglected to mention on your introduction is uh, with respect to your qualifications is that you were a pre-med student one time, but then wisely chose to opt out of the medical system because you had a paraprofessional experience as a surgical tech and had firsthand insights into the underpinnings of the workings of the medical world. And then you went on to get your master's degree in exercise physiology and biomechanics. So why don't you relate that history and then we'll go back into some of the biohacks for improving your sleep. Yeah, I, I got accepted to several medical schools in undergrad and, and I really did want to go into sports medicine or orthopedic surgery because at the time I was I was uh, playing tennis in college and uh, was actually, uh, I was into a very healthy sport called bodybuilding. <laughs> one of the healthiest sports on the face of the planet in which you, you sustain two to three percent body fat and about four hours a day i can't think of anything healthier actually and uh not not to mention uh having tuna fish out of the can with a little bit of relish on it for dinner uh chicken and and broccoli for lunch and usually a couple of protein shakes for breakfast is really in my opinion that the diet most conducive to longevity and, and a very ancestral approach uh, however, that, that aside, um, yeah, I, I was, I was very into sports and fitness and exercise and, and wanted to practice medicine on that level. But as you alluded to, I became pretty disillusioned with modern medicine, you know, modern allopathic medicines. Uh, when I, when I took up a job out of college, uh, for about six months doing hip and knee surgical sales, during which time, not a single physician, 
uh, who I spoke to encouraged me to go to medical school, despite knowing that that was a that was a goal of mine. And in fact, uh, at least a dozen of them told me that I would be crazy too, and that it was uh, possibly one of the the, uh, the the least intelligent decisions that they made to, to go and you know all these guys with with homes and boats and and lots of money who pretty much had not a lot of time to to uh, to spend enjoying. Uh, those those blessings and they were indeed very stressed out and working in a situation where people were paying a copious amount of money for for uh, for medical care that in many cases was unnecessary and nowhere near preventive so I I wound up uh, actually uh, wandering into the gym across the street from the apartment that I was living in uh, the day after I quit my job in surgical sales and I asked for a job in the gym and uh, wound up you know managing the fitness facility for a while and then uh, partnered with a physician at that facility and branched off and began opening a re specialized in kind of this exercise as medicine approach. Um, I did everything from a high speed biomechanical analysis where he had a whole bunch of video cameras set up to analyze things like running gait or, or, you know, uh, cycling fit to, uh, we had EKG machines. We had one of the first, uh, PRP machines in the region where we would inject joints with platelet rich plasma. Uh, we did uh, a lot of indirect calorimetry and VO2 max tests to assess metabolic rate, both exercise and then uh, a pretty robust personal training and, and nutritional counseling uh, offering. And so that's what I did for for many years uh, once once I kind of delved back into the fitness scene. And, um, you know, eventually when my kids were born about nine years ago, I made a decision to homeschool them and kind of pivoted into doing a lot more from home, which is a lot more of what I do now, right? Writing, uh, freelance authoring, podcasting, blogging, uh, designing uh, supplements and formulations, advising fitness companies, you know, doing, doing a lot more uh, at home uh, uh, in my underwear and occasionally hopping on a plane to go, go speak somewhere. So that's kind of what I do now. Yeah, well, I'm glad you listened to those physicians who uh, advised you to avoid going to medical school because <clears throat> there is little doubt in my mind that you've impacted on a positive way an order of magnitude or probably significantly more than that of people that you are helping through the work that you're doing now than you ever possibly could have as a treating patients as a as a individually as a physician. So, and and you mentioned that you're you're homeschooling your children and. Uh, I neglected to mention also that you you yourself were homeschooled, and, and really one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that you're such a an amazing example of someone who was nurtured in a way that uh, you developed independent thinking, and then you were even though your early diet was less than optimal, and but you were still exercising, you figured things out later, and and now you're you know you're reading a book a day, and really it's just amazing how you're able to integrate all this information and synthesize practical recommendations uh, through the work that you're doing and it's just a real testimony to what you can do if you're doing things the right way well reading a book a day has come back to bite me a few times for example uh, you know one of my rules is that you know if I, if I haven't read my book and I usually have a stack up up uh, by my bed of two or three books and then a, a couple in the office and I've got one over by the infrared sauna. So I always have a book I can grab and typically I'm reading two or three at a time. And, uh, you know, I'll get in a, get to bed at night, for example. And, you know, my, my wife and I will, will make love after which time you're supposed to fall asleep in each other's arms in a loving embrace. Right. I'll, uh, <laughs> 
I'll, I'll roll that, over and flip on the light and start reading a book. And she's like, you're just, you're just I don't get you. I don't, <laughs> I never do that. But, but uh, yeah, if I, if I don't finish my book, I, I figure out time to do it. Last night I was reading in the bathtub, actually, a new book on mitochondria. Uh, I don't have it in front of me now. But is, that by Lee, is that by Lee No? I believe it, it's an excellent one. It's, uh, it's yeah, I, I'm interviewing him shortly. Uh, He's it's, it's a brand new, relatively thin, but really good book on, on yeah, yeah, it, it was it's uh, outstanding. Yeah, do you remember a, the name of it? Uh, I don't remember the name, I just remember the author. I read his first book yeah. and uh, was really inspirational to me to write Fat for Fuel and really provided a lot of the groundwork groundwork on mitochondrial health but it's excellent so let's get back to the biohacking though <clears throat> we talked about the aura ring and the, the hrv application that you can use to monitor and one of the most important components of that we mentioned is sleep of course and what i was shocked when i initially put on the aura ring was that my deep sleep was consistently very very, very low um, most of the time the average sleep sleep uh deep sleep i was getting per night is 0.0 minutes no deep sleep at all and this is one of the things that the aura can measure it can show you the amount of deep sleep rem sleep light sleep and the times that you're awake and how long you're sleeping at night so i didn't believe it i thought this ring doesn't work as do many other people they said there's no way i'm not getting any deep sleep but i i believe that the, the results are true now and i've been trying to biohack my deep sleep and <clears throat> I, I suspect this is, you know, when I talk to the the people who made the ring, they said this is a common observation. As people get older, they just their deep sleep goes hits the dirt. So I'm wondering uh, if you could provide your insights and your um, uh, details with respect to biohacks you developed to improve and increase the amount of deep sleep in the night. Yeah, it is kind of interesting the number of people who get far less deep sleep than they actually. Uh, believe that they get, which is unfortunate because that's when, when a lot of the repair and recovery processes mm -hmm. actually occur, uh, technically, it, you know, one of, one of the requirements for, uh, repair and recovery to occur, especially of, of the nervous system would be a lower core temperature. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's one big thing, uh, for people who are eating late at night or for people who are sleeping with too many blankets or people who, uh, don't have the room properly cooled in the evening. Uh, people who exercise too close to bedtime, meaning that 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 you're going to enhance deep sleep if you exercise, especially high intensity exercise in the afternoon or even the early evening. But that uh, begins to you begin to see a reversal of the positive effects if you finish up that exercise session within about three hours before you actually go to bed. Right, so you'd want to wrap up. Let's say you're a 10 p.m. Uh, to bed type of person, you'd want to wrap up any hard exercise session by about 7 p.m. and actually engage in efforts to to cool the body afterwards uh, in, in a way that doesn't necessarily blunt the hormetic response to exercise. I'm not talking about like a 20-minute ice bath, which I'm not a big fan of post-workout because you do blunt some of the some of the natural inflammatory processes that you want to occur. But a, but a quick cold shower, even like a lukewarm bath, you know, that type of thing can can certainly help. Uh, but yeah, one of the things would be temperature, um, simply sleeping too hot. And you'll, you'll notice uh, if you pull up the Aura Ring dashboard uh, where you can pull up mm -hmm. a lot of correlative data that you can pair uh, your uh, body temperature both during the day and in the evening uh, with your deep sleep percentages and see some, some pretty significant correlations just between body temperature and deep sleep. So that would be one, you know, food and movement choices before bed that... 
uh, that, that can potentially increase your temperature while sleeping as well as just the general temperature of the room overall, you know, and, and, you know, when you look at biohacks, I would say that, you know, for that, aside from just the timing, which isn't really a biohack, it's just a, a lifestyle. One, one would be, uh, uh, like the chili pad. I don't know if you've used mm -hmm. that at all. I have. I, I, Mark, Mark Sisson gave me one, and I wasn't impressed with the ability to maintain a low body temperature, but I just interviewed Mark last week, and he has this pattern where he does this uh, whirlpool, a jacuzzi, uh, at night with his mm -hmm. wife, I believe, and then dumps in his regular yeah. pool in California, which is not heated, so he gets to be pretty low. And I used to do my infrared sauna that you do also in the morning. I don't know when you do yours, but I do my, did mine in the morning. And then I would jump in my pool, which is pretty cold this time of year in the 60s, uh, and do that. But I'm switching it tonight, and I think I'm noticing an improvement in deep sleep. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I was recently uh, in uh, Hawaii, I was experimenting with this a little bit because I was staying with a friend, and we would do sauna, and he, he has an ice bath. So we do sauna and ice bath each evening. And I, I noticed some really, really good deep sleep numbers there. And I think a big part of that was because we'd always finish with the cold, mm -hmm. uh, which was originally, you know, that, that that's originally something I started doing just to activate a little bit more of a conversion of, of white fat into brown adipose tissue, you know, forcing the body to reheat itself via just natural thermogenesis of brown fat. But it appears that in the evening when you do that, it, it at least in my case, seemed to have an impact on deep sleep cycles. And, and for me, um, I will often use the sauna now, especially when I'm at home, both times during the day, like this morning, I spent about 20 to 30 minutes in the sauna and I was doing a, a lot of like Kundalini and breath work and yoga and movement. And I'll even sometimes put elastic bands in there or dumbbells or, you know, foam rolling type of devices, just do some body work. And, and I generally get pretty hot, pretty sweaty, a little bit out of breath. And then I'll go jump in the cold pool afterwards and, and get ready to start my day. Uh, but in the evening, what I've started doing before dinner is uh, going in there to do some of my reading. And I'll actually just spend about 15 to 20 minutes laying on my back. Uh, I have a little acupressure mat in there. So I just lay on my back in the sauna. I have a little like a foam roller with a towel around it kind of tucked under my head. And I'll just lay there and read. Typically, I'll burn some incense, burn some candle. I've been... Uh, vaporizing essential oils lately. So I've actually got some essential oils in there, like frankincense, for example, uh, that I'll vape uh, in the same way that one would like vape, uh, say like marijuana or tobacco, I'll, I'll vape essential oils. And so that's kind of been like a, a nightly routine for me when I'm at home. And uh, as long as I, I finish up with doing something like you do that cools the body, you know, like I'll, mm -hmm. I, I don't live near water, unfortunately. I used to live on the river, and I love water. You know, I love surfing. I love swimming. I love spearfishing. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time as an Ironman triathlete, uh, another super healthy sport. <laughs> um, do, doing a lot of open water swimming. And so what I did since I live out in the middle of the forest now, you know, we're, we're off grid out here in the middle of the forest, you know, all on solar and a well. But I had a, a crane drop a 19-foot one of these endless pools out in the middle of the forest back behind the house. And I keep that at about, you know, right, right now it's uh, upper forties in the summer to, to the upper fifties, but I go jump in that, uh, you know, so I trudge through the snow in my bare feet and go jump in the cold pool and, and come back in, you know, and, and, and then have dinner with the family and, and my body's cool enough you know, after that, by the time I go to sleep that, you know, that, that how long are you in the, how long are you in the pool? Uh, I go for about five minutes, you know, kind of. Swim wow. Back the water. That's impressive. In the forties. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, you got to remember, I mean, I did, I did the, uh, I did like the Kokoro thing with, with, uh, with Mark divine, which is like, it's kind of like the Navy seal hell week that they put together for civilians. Mm -hmm. And I believe that during that time, not only did I develop a little bit of, of post-traumatic stress disorder, <laughs> I mean, that I can't, I can't really get in the ocean right now without thinking about having to sit in there for eight hours, hypothermic, you know, getting out to do burpees every hour. You know, they, they had us do all sorts of crazy things during that training, but they also, at one point they had me uh, sit in an ice bath, like a full on ice bath mm -hmm. for 18 minutes. And oh. uh, that, that was probably the, the, it, it was either that, or I also competed in the Spartan death rate, Vermont. And that was three days all outside at 38 degrees below zero. <laughs> and both of those efforts made five minutes at, at mid forties feel like a walk in the park. So it's all relative. Yes. Uh, but, but coming full circle. That sounds yeah, like bodybuilding might've been a healthier choice. <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. You know, some of these things definitely have a, have a hormetic effect that might be a little bit too pronounced. Uh, Anyways, though, the, um, the, the body temperature would be a big one when it comes to deep sleep, as would be the timing of, of exercise. Um, there, there are some compounds, of course, that a lot of people are aware of, you know, inhibitory neurotransmitters like gamma immunobutyric acid uh, that, that can be increased, uh, you know, somewhat with like a, you know, a small glass of wine or alcohol before bed. But the problem is that you seem to have another waking cycle occur sometime between about one and uh, once that that evening dose of alcohol wears off and so you know i found that some of these some of these forms of gaba you know that can be taken in supplemental form or precursors to gaba like a you know passion flower extract is a perfect example uh they can actually help out quite a bit with deep, these deep sleep cycles anything that increases gamma immunobutyric acid um small doses of melatonin i've also found to have an effect you know around in the range of about 0 0.3 to a half gram this is on deep sleep uh, or just right uh, on deep sleep. This, this okay. would be on deep sleep. Yeah. And stark contrast, you know, when I travel, sometimes the first day I get to an international location, I'll pop 40 to 60 milligrams of melatonin, uh, which is not only potent anti-inflammatory, but can also kind of help to, to jumpstart your circadian rhythm. Uh, but I'll take very, very small doses aside from that just before bed at night. Uh, that seems to impact deep sleep. Uh, cannabidiol. Cannabidiol is another, uh, doesn't need to be psychoactive, doesn't need to be, you know, THC or, or smoking weed or a joint, but just any of these, you know, newer cannabidiol oils or, or capsules or, or vape pens or anything that gets a little bit of CBD into the system, uh, that also uh, affects deep sleep and seems to improve deep sleep cycles. Um, used uh, PEMF a little bit before. And while I've found that to seem to improve the overall night of sleep, haven't seen a huge impact on deep sleep cycles. Uh, although especially after a big bout of travel or hard training or anything else that exposes me to a lot of inflammation, I find that uh, that PEMF somewhere in the range of about three to eight Hertz, uh, seems to help out with sleep quite a bit. Um, you know, very, very similar to, to the way that grounding or earthing might. Um, those, those are a few things that come to mind, but honestly, the biggest one that I found really is temperature when it comes to deep sleep. Interesting. And what is your typical average amount of deep sleep per night? And what's your like record amount of deep sleep? Just curious. Oh, record amount was early twenties. Well, like, like low 20 percentages. And generally I like to see somewhere between about five and 20%, like in that range. Um, I don't have my, my, my phone around right now, so I don't know what it was last night, but it's, it's been pretty good lately, uh, generally around in kind of like the eight to 15% range.
That's excellent. Yeah, I'm typically in the one to two percent, but I'm working towards it now to increase it. And I think the my experience is that the the cold night swimming is is a useful strategy for me. And I think interestingly, I noticed too, it's much easier to fall asleep. You just seem to be ready to fall asleep because your body temperature is lower. Just yeah. much, much, much uh, yeah. more uh, conducive to that. I think there's definitely something to be said for the hard exercise session that you finish up at least three hours before bedtime too. I think mm -hmm. some people just, just go to bed, uh, too amped up without having, you know, gone out and, and done something anaerobic. And, and I'm certainly not sure. a fan of, of excessive training, but I think that, uh, that, that ensuring that the body actually has some amount of physical stress during the day, you know, by, by doing something like high intensity interval training, like this morning, um, you know, I, I, I try and do, do something every day this morning. I, was really working on, on mitochondrial health. So I was doing 90 seconds of hypoxia followed by 30 seconds of hyperoxia and then mm -hmm. a minute of rest, a minute of rest at hyperoxia using one of these live O2 training units. Yeah. Um, I was the, I was the one who, who facilitated you getting that. Yeah, <laughs> delivery. That's, that's right. You, you told me about that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll usually use that one or two times a week. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, yesterday, for example, was Christmas day, actually at the time that we're recording this. And so, you know, usually I'll have a, a couple of extra drinks of alcohol on Christmas day. Sometimes my, I'm getting to bed a little bit later. Um, you know, typically there's, there's a little bit more caloric consumption, more sugar consumption, you know, so I spend the morning really taking care of my body. I mean, this morning I did, uh, what else did I do? You know, I, I was, I was breathing this, uh, this air from the, uh, the nano V device, which is basically humidified air that gets exposed to a frequency that, creates a little bit of, of, uh, of reactive oxygen species that wind up, uh, that wind up being a little bit, uh, having a little bit of a DNA repair effect. I uh, did, uh, yeah, it, it basically helps refold your proteins and with the structured yeah. water. And I'm actually going to be interviewing right. Han Zhang pretty soon. Exactly. Exactly. So I did that while I was working, uh, on my computer for a little bit this morning with, with the uh, near and far infrared lights that I have in my office kind of shining on both sides of my body. Um, I used uh, a photobiomodulation this morning while I was kind of stretching and warming up the water for the coffee, which is a device that goes in your head, which can, uh, it can activate a little bit of the cytochrome C oxidase, uh, mm -hmm. structure in mitochondria and allow for a little bit of increased nitric oxide production as well. And, uh, you know, then of course I did the sauna and, uh, and the cold and, um, you know, then I like to pull out a little bit of, you know, the, the, the ancestral wisdom as well. Like right now I'm vaporizing, uh, rosemary and peppermint while we're talking. So I've got a little, you know, a little cold air. Sorry, I don't know if I can hold it up here without unplugging it, but I've got a little, a little uh, essential oil vaporizer here that's just kind of diffusing into the air. And uh, that seems to help out quite a bit as well with, with wakefulness. I have a lot of fun playing with different essential oil blends. Uh, and then, um, of course, used a, uh, used one of these. We uh, can't. One of these. Uh, a human charger so it's a uh, oh yeah i do uh, yeah they get, I don't. A white light each i only year. use it when i'm traveling so i only probably use it a few times a year yeah. use it a lot of times if, I, if i've had a uh you know uh, a longer day of the day before or I, or I just need kind of a pick me up the next morning along with these these glasses that create like a like a greenish blue light so i'll do that along yeah. with the with the human charger but yeah i mean you know this morning was an example of a morning where i kind of just like pull out all the stops and you wind up feeling like a million bucks uh, but, but I think a lot of these things that jumpstart your circadian rhythm early in the day, like, you know, white light in the ears, bluish green light for the eyes, um, 
you know, red light therapy, uh, the heat, the cold, a lot of these things in the morning that jumpstart the circadian rhythm wind up assisting you with sleep uh, later on in the night, you know, especially if you, if you travel a lot, for example. Yeah. And I really appreciate your recommendation of the uh, juve light for the photobiomodulation, which is the near infrared and the red. <clears throat> and oh, yeah. uh, then I'm sure you got a yeah, big panel. Yeah. There you go. Now you're blasted out in red. So yeah, I do that pretty much every day too. I typically do mine before the sauna just to complement the far infrared. Yeah. Yeah. Good increase it, in sperm cell and testosterone production as well from that. Yeah, that's a good good compliment. So I'm wondering um, <clears throat> if you, uh, I know, you, I think you've had some experience with QEEGs. Uh, we actually did went out to a place in California and did a few weeks of training. And I'm wondering if you remember the name of the unit you had and, and if you have any uh, observations on its impact to improve any of your uh, markers that you're monitoring. Yeah. So I went to the Peak Brain Institute in Culver City, California, and spent about a week there uh, learning how to Who, use. Does, does uh, Andrew Hill, does, system. does Andrew Hill run that? That was, with, that was with Dr. Andrew Hill. Okay. Yeah. And, he, uh, he is, he's phenomenal. Like, I've got to have to interview him. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a good wealth of knowledge on, on, uh, on neurofeedback and uh, did a QEG and discovered several areas of, of some imbalanced beta theta ratios, uh, some areas where I, where it had concussions and developed some ADD, ADHD like symptoms, increased distractibility, uh, some areas that definitely needed work. And, uh, what he wound up doing was outfitting me with a laptop and software that I could take home because mm -hmm. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to travel to California sure. to do my training. So I took it home and for three months, uh, for 30 minutes, every other day, I did the neurofeedback program that's basically like a spaceship flying uh, with a little bit of music. An ignition comes out the back of the spaceship and the spaceship moves. And the spaceship will stop moving. Ignition will stop coming out of the back of it like the smoke will disappear and the music will fade uh, if your brain begins to stray into those areas that you do not want it to stray into. Uh, it's a, it's like a subconscious slap on the wrist, after which point, you know, you auto correct and your brain eventually learns to stay in the brainwave ratios that would be more beneficial. And there are certain placements of the, of the electrodes on the head that allow you to target different regions, everything from, uh, from, uh, sleep to distractibility to, you know, he's even got programs that can reset your tolerance to things like marijuana or alcohol. So it's a, it's a very interesting series of programs. And so I would just keep track on an Excel spreadsheet in the cloud of each session that I did. And then he would reply with notes that, that, uh, made small adjustments here and there to the frequencies and to the placement of the electrodes. And, uh, when I went back for my follow-up QEEG, it was as though the slate had been wiped clean from, wow. uh, from a distractibility standpoint. I mean, he, he literally rewired my brain. Now, now granted, I understand not everybody will, will be able to afford or have the time to do, you know, 30 minutes a day, every other day for, for three months with neurofeedback, but it was a real game changer for me. I still do it about once every 10 days or so I'll take it out and do a session. That's kind of like a basic session specifically to go after anything related to, you know, post-concussive symptoms. Cause I've had a few concussions in my life, you know, almost, almost all of us have, I mean, it's football, the rare yeah, individual right. hasn't, yeah. Et cetera. Yeah. So, um, so I like it. Um, it, it worked out pretty well for me with my one complaint being that I think it needs to be, uh, it needs to be made more scalable, right? Like it would take me like 10 minutes to set up my head and put the paste on and you gotta like 
you know, clean the hair and put the gel on and apply the electrodes and then, you know, check and see if they're on there properly and then reapply it. Some could potentially, given the, the, the right amount of R&D and funding, create some kind of a cap that you would wear that you could simply select which target, which areas of the brain you wanted to work on and then run your neurofeedback session rather than having all these wires sticking out of your head that you got to place one by one. I would think there, there would be the capability to create some kind of like a, some kind of like a hat or a cap you would wear that you could simply you know, target each section of the brain with. But aside from the improvement in the follow-up QEEG, have you, did you know, notice anything uh yeah. in the ways you felt or thought or yeah. any of your bio exactly. biomarkers the most significant thing that i saw uh was the ability to focus at a much deeper level and you know what the craziest thing was was i used to be the guy who would walk into a cocktail party unable to focus on one conversation because i could hear all the other conversations mm. and had difficulty focusing uh, without trying to pick up on what everybody else was saying at a dinner table or at a cocktail party. And now I can simply hone in and talk to one person without being distracted by all these other voices and all these other people. That was the most significant thing that I saw. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's fascinating. So you still retain that ability today? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a permanent change. So that's great. Yeah, it's something I'm seriously considering doing myself. I, did, I didn't yeah, realize, I, I knew you went out there, but I didn't make the connection till this interview that you had seen Andrew Hill. So, Yeah, I also uh, completely forgot all of my third grade math and my sixth grade, uh, my sixth grade um, uh, grammar, but I think that's just an aside. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't lose anything. Nothing got messed up. Did you see any changes in your sleep uh, metrics? Uh, you know what? I, it wasn't a huge game changer for sleep. Yeah. You're um, already pretty good. Although it's marketed as something that could help with sleep. I, uh, apparently, you know, I, I, I'm guessing that I didn't have enough beta brainwaves produced during sleep just because I'm already pretty, I, I guard my sleep pretty heavily in terms of ensuring I don't do a lot of work after dinner, you know, not a lot of screen time. It's all paper books in bed. I do a lot of, a lot of deep breathing. You know, I, I play my children music and do a lot of singing and chanting before bed, which is just with vagal nerve tone. You know, there's all sorts of things I do that I think, uh, created a scenario where I wasn't creating excess, excess beta before sleep. Yeah. So I don't think that was, that was a big target for me. Okay. One, one of the things that you also do that, uh, I think you're really an early adopter on and not many people, my guess, less than 1% of the population have, have actively incorporated into their lifestyle is that you've essentially eliminated most EMFs from your environment and from your home. Your home is hardwired and you really don't have extraneous EMFs and you live in the, in the wilderness, in the woods. So, uh, you're minimizing that and you, you, you figured that out long before I did. I, I thought I was uh, somehow I, I was arrogantly ignorant and didn't think that was harmful, but now I know that's not the case at all. So, but, but I want to mention too, that there's, there's always some fine tuning and that the, the diffuser you held up, I would challenge you and you got to be careful of any device you plug into the wall, but it probably has two prongs. It's not grounded. And most likely the electrical fields, if you have a sensitive detector from that, it's going to be pretty high. <clears throat> so you got to stay at least three feet away from it. Yeah, that one is plugged into a dirty electricity filter, but it is yeah, but it's still too a, does not have a grounding plug yeah. on it. Um, yeah, the dirt, yeah, dirty electricity filter is just going to take care of the spikes. It's not going to it's not going to stop the electric fields. 
Exactly. So that, and then also I have a building biologist coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, All right. <laughs> my solar setup specifically because there's an inverter on my solar panel setup. And even though the entire house is, is hard, shy, you know, it's, it's hardwired with metal shielded uh, cat six ethernet cable. You can't connect to Wi-Fi. Uh, there's almost no Bluetooth devices, no smart appliances, you know, no, no Google devices or Amazon devices or anything like that in the home. Uh, I, I am a little bit concerned about the solar. So that's one thing. I well, you should be for the dirty electricity. Okay. And what do you know the name of your inverter? I don't recall the name of it. No. Yeah. Because the, the, the cleanest one is a sunny boy. S O N Y B O Y. Uh, they are the cleanest. And I, I, I didn't send you a paper written by David Stetzer in one of the electronic journals, but if I, did I send you that? I don't, I don't believe think, so. Okay, I'll send it to you after this interview because it, it really has a remediation strategy that you can input a filter, uh, a, a series of capacitors within inside the, um, um, the solar inverter that will actually eliminate that dirty electricity. Or, or you can get a sine wave inverter instead, or you know, a, a Sunny Boy is pretty good. But they, you, it's something you definitely have to pay attention to. And and right, it's right, it's much exactly. it's prevention is the key. You want to you don't want to have the dirty electricity to begin with, rather than remediate it with the filters. Right, right, yep. So, so I'll, I'll I'll be getting that analyzed, and I'll probably write a little blog post on it about what I find and what I do as far as the solar paneling is concerned. Well, I will send you that filter, and then maybe you can find an electrical engineer to kind of install. It should only be a, a hundred or two hundred dollars at the most to to, to remediate yeah. it that way. So good. Uh, now, one of the other things, I mean, you, you're, I think, best known for your exercise hacks. And, um, you know, one of the things that you also enlightened me on was, and I, I, I totally discounted as I did a lot of your information until I started reflecting on it and reading it more and found, found out there was a lot of truth to it, is the blood flow restricted training. Um, so I'm wondering if you're doing that now or um, some version of yeah. it. You know, I first heard about it went way back in the day, years and years ago. I, I interviewed the folks from Vasper mm -hmm. who have this technology that combines cold flow restriction with grounding on like a full body exercise device. You, you, you've used the Vasper before. Right? I, I, I own one. Oh, you own one. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I worked out on one. It was, it was, uh, I believe it was in San Diego. It was way back in the day. And, um, you know, didn't, didn't really give a lot more thought to blood flow restriction training. And then I got my hands on one of these Katsu devices from Japan, which allows mm -hmm. you to precisely adjust the millimeters of merc on a joint uh, and specifically restrict blood flow to a joint. So you'd put it around the, the middle area of the thighs and, uh, and, you know, another couple of bands around the middle area of the biceps. And by restricting blood flow, you get a relatively large buildup of lactic acid in muscle tissue and a subsequent increase in growth hormone after the workout uh, from that surge in lactic acid and restriction in blood flow. And they've done some pretty compelling research, for example, in, uh, in seniors uh, who are attempting to save off, you know, sarcopenia or muscle wasting with age and found that blood flow restriction training combined with, with or blood flow restriction combined with body weight training uh, seems to do a very good job uh, allowing maintenance of muscle with very low impact because essentially the muscle, you know, similar like hypoxia, right? Like I can, I can work a lot less hard on a bike with a training mask or a hypoxic device on, do less 
damage uh, potentially to the knees or to the feet uh, and still get a, a very significant training effect. And, and blood flow restriction training is similar, big increase in growth hormone, big increase in proliferation of satellite cells and growth or maintenance of muscle tissue without having to lift a lot of weight because uh, because you have blood flow restriction. And there is everything from these fancy Katsu devices, which are literally uh, monitored by a handheld device that allows you to precisely dial in the amount of pressure on each limb uh, to something as simple as like a what would be called like a BFR band that you could buy on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And typically that's just a, it's a band that has little numbers on it that would allow you to uh, to know, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on a level of four, a little level of five. And then you would do, you know, a typical session would be like uh, uh, 30 reps of a push-up, 20 reps of a push-up, and 10 reps of a push-up with a short recovery period between each uh, with the bands on the arms or something similar for the squat. And yeah, I use BFR training you know, once a week, once every couple of weeks. I'll do it in the sauna. I do it when I travel more often because I'm more restricted to body weight training, you know, so I might do a pyramid of, you know, one squat, one push up, one pull up, up to 15 and back down wearing the BFR bands, for example. So yeah, there, there's, there's, there's pretty good training applicability. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of that style of training. I've really been getting into isometric training as well. There's another way to get very strong mm -hmm. uh, with low impact. Uh, I'm actually experimenting right now with a force plate that's in my gym that allows me to uh, to measure the amount of force that I produce over anywhere from 30 seconds up to three minutes, right? So you do one mm -hmm. single completely exhausting mm -hmm. isometric set. So a workout might be uh, a chest press, a shoulder press, a lat pull down, a squat, a deadlift, an abdominal press. And you're simply holding all of those at maximum capacity for one to three minutes. Uh, technically, yeah. there is uh, an app that pairs with the force plate that will let you know once you've dropped off to about 60% of your starting capacity, at which point you, you wouldn't be getting quite as much benefit out of, out of the, out of the mm -hmm. sets. You just go until you drop off to about 60% of your original force production. And then you stop and, and isometric training is a really, really great way to get strong again, uh, relatively injury free. And, and it's, it's very, it's mentally demanding, right? It's very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. So is it some would say it's a bit boring but but man, it sounds similar to the it sounds similar to the arx it's similar to the arx but it would be almost like in the expression almost like a poor man's version of the arx right a smaller smaller footprint it's pretty much just a force plate the one i'm experimenting with is called a peak fit pro and that's available commercially um, I don't even know if it's available commercially. I yeah, I think I think Dave, Dave Asprey introduced me to that. I don't think they're coming out until uh, first quarter of 2018. Yeah, well, it gives you a great workout. And and actually, what I've been doing is during my rest period from the isometric set is I've been hopping on uh, in in my uh, gym here. I've got what I'm walking on right now is a true form treadmill, which forces your body into a proper biomechanical, slightly forward leaning position for running or walking. And then I've got a stationary bicycle and one of these stand-up elliptical trainers called an elliptigo, which is kind of yeah. cool because it's got wheels on it. You can take it outdoors. But in between my isometric sets, I'll go in and, and kind of do an aerobic recovery on one of those, then go back and do the next set. I mean, within 15 minutes, I can I can literally do a full body workout that just absolutely 
crushes me from a strength training standpoint. <laughs> yeah. And that, and then you, that's another thing I like about what you're doing is that you're just, you just don't focus on one exercise. You're comprehensive and movement is a big strategy and, and your lifestyles and is demonstrative of what you're doing now. Most of the people I interview are, I would say 95% of them are sitting down. It's the rare person who stands up, but I've only had one other person walk on a treadmill and that was Dr. Michael Greger. So you're the second person I've interviewed who's walking on a treadmill. So there congratulations. Now, and it is it is a manual treadmill. Treadmills are a pretty good source of EMF, not EMF. Yeah. So I I do have uh, for my Spartan racing. I have a. It's actually it actually is a really good device. Um, if you want to to be able to maintain VO two max and lactic acid threshold and build mitochondrial density quite quickly, it's it's a treadmill that goes up to forty percent incline, and so I have that up in the up in the garage. And I have a hypoxic air generator made by a company called Hypoxico next to it. So it allows me to simulate, you know, like 20,000 feet elevation. And that's something that I'll get on and, and I'll do like a climbing workout on, you know, leading up to a race or something like that. But it does have, uh, it does have a, a lot of, a lot of dirty EMF those treadmills put out. So in my office, I just stick to the manual treadmill and I encourage people, if they, if they opt for a treadmill desk, you know, get, get a manual treadmill. Sure. And, and the reason I got this one, the true form is, you know, I can straight up, you know, from talking to you, I could go into a run if I wanted to, you know, a lot of these treadmills, so I'm running now, a lot of these treadmills will just go to like three or four miles an hour. I could run 10 miles. I could run as fast as my body will take me on this. So I can do, you know, hop on and do some sprints during the day as well. Very good. So, uh, I was just curious as we're en ending the year 2017, uh, how did you do in your uh, competition this year with the uh, Spartan races, national championships? I did pretty well, did pretty well, but I, uh, for, for the world championships, I went into that, uh, with an injury and I opted to, uh, actually I injured my knee, so I wasn't able to run as much as I wanted to. Oddly enough, I completely rehabbed the knee and it's pain-free now. <laughs> But my other knee is swollen to the size of a softball because last week I was teaching at a yoga retreat in Panama and I got bit by a scorpion <laughs> at 3 a.m. in the evening and uh, couldn't walk for a couple of days. And I, I made a poultice out of some local fig leaf and some ginger root and a coffee filter. A lot of the poison out, took a crap load of activated charcoal and, you know, the knee is slowly coming back around. But a, a scorpion really, really, really... Uh, effed up that right knee quite a bit so um anyways though ultimately though yeah i had a had a had a good season of racing and honestly uh just turned 30 just turned 36 and i feel stronger than i did when i was 18 years old so yeah, i feel yeah. pretty good well you're a real testimony of what you can do if you apply yourself and you know the, the, really give your body what it needs and requires and it's paying attention to all the details so congratulations oh thanks any, any other tips you'd like to provide or recommendations on maybe some of the your best strategies and how to stay fit? Well, for fitness, you know, the, the main thing that, that I would tell people is, you know, understand why you're doing what you're doing and which physiological parameters that you want to target. Because if we step back and we look at fitness, you know, cardiovascular performance, for example, if you're just doing, let's say, intervals in the realm of uh, two to four minutes with short recovery periods, you're doing a great job at building up your lactic acid tolerance, which does result in a pretty significant increase in growth hormone, like that blood flow restriction training I was just talking about. But that's not the best way to build mitochondrial density, for example. You know, mitochondrial density, you want extremely short, hard efforts of 20 to 30 seconds in duration 
followed by long recovery periods. Or if we're looking at something like, let's say, VO2 max, maximum oxygen utilization, lung capacity, the ability of tissue to be able to extract the oxygen from blood, looking at intervals closer to four to six minutes of duration uh, with, with four to six minutes of recovery in between each. Uh, when we look at strength and muscle, we see that uh, especially, uh, you know, the research done in guinea pigs, Paul Jaminet has a great article about this on his Perfect Health Diet website, uh, shows that explosive muscle fiber specifically uh, tends to be more heavily correlated with longevity compared to, to the type of muscle fiber you might build while doing uh, the isometric training I was just talking about, right? So I don't just do isometric training. I go out of my way to, to do body weight training that's very quick and explosive and fast. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, you want to make sure that you don't neglect uh, stamina, the ability to occasionally go out, uh, preferably in a fasted state, and just move for long periods of time. You know, you don't have to be a hunter to do that, even though that's the way I like to do it. I like to take minimal fuel out to the high mountains of Colorado or Idaho for a week or so and, and bow hunt and just, just not have a lot of fuel and, and just go for long periods of time. But ultimately, uh, what I'm getting at here is if you step back and you look at fitness, you need VO2 max, you need lactic acid tolerance, you need mitochondrial density, you need that kind of super slow, heavy strength. You also need the explosive strength and you need stamina. And then finally, you need, you know, and Kelly Starrett is probably my favorite resource on this. You need mm -hmm. mobility. And, you know, when, when you put all those components together, then you've got a complete exercise program, you know, versus relying upon, let's say, just high intensity interval training or just a, you know, a long fasted workout or just you know, super slow, uh, you know, ARX fit uh, strength training. So I would say the the biggest bang for my buck comes from each week tapping into each of those different fitness variables and ensuring that I address the body from a complete fitness standpoint, because I don't want to be the incredible Hulk and just have strength. Right. And I don't want to be, you know, flash and just be fast. I want to be like Batman, right. You have strength, you have power, you have mobility, you have a little bit of everything. And I, I think that's what allows you to, to really have true and lasting fitness is to be a, when it comes to tapping into each of the different parameters of fitness. Yes, indeed. And your classic example of a well-educated 21st century athlete, uh, avoiding the mistakes of many of us 20th century athletes like myself, Mark Sisson, Dave Scott, who uh, won six triathlons. Uh, I just listened to a recent podcast of his and he developed atrial flutter as a result of that, Mark Sisson has PVCs. I had problems with left ventricular diastolic dysfunction. So this chronic cardio long-term endurance is is just not something that's healthy long-term especially at highly competitive levels aside from my brief foray of 10 years of ironman triathlon i'd agree with you <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever compete against dave uh, I don't think I ever did compete against Dave. No, I, I'm pretty sure he was full on retired by the time I got into the sport. Yeah. Okay. Ran into him at a few races, but no, never competed against him. No, really, really good athlete, but he's, he's, he's fully he's embraced the, the keto. Go ahead. Uh, he, you were saying he fully embraced the ketogenic diet. That that's crazy right. because he's the guy well known for, for, he would like skim the fat off of fat free cottage cheese <laughs> and fat free yogurt just to make it more low fat. Well, he's a convert now, just like Tim Noakes, who who had the same similar approach. I didn't know that actually. That that's very cool. I didn't know Dave was was kind of. A oh yeah, he, the, the he's full on keto. Absolutely, he's, he's a convert, no question. So, 
Praise, praise the Lord. <laughs> so, um, I guess maybe if you could, so, so you've addressed the fitness recommendations and you know, the, you're just not exercise. You're the, the full package with respect to integrating everything into optimize, uh, a, a healthy life and optimum lifespan or health span, which would be even more accurate. So are there any other strategies that you would want to add to the fitness recommendations? You know, um, we, we've already discussed heat and cold, and I'm, I'm certainly a fan of exposing yourself to fluctuations in environmental extremes uh, as a way of, of tapping into some of the same things you get from fitness, right? Like nitric oxide and, and heat shock proteins and, and better blood flow. Uh, I would say from a fitness standpoint, um, a couple of other things that, that come to mind that I find a, a, th that I use quite a bit. One would be the concept of uh, not ignoring, even if you don't aren't doing a formal workout, uh, ensuring that you're getting good lymph flow and lymph massage. And you know, <laughs> case in point, that scorpion bite that I got, the three lymph nodes in my femur were the size of golf balls, and I was doing copious amounts of self-inflicted lymph massage just to work the poisons out of my system. Uh, but I also have uh, a couple of devices I use. One is, you know, I know you've talked about this before, Joe, uh, just, just a very basic jump sport mini trampoline. Mm -hmm. And I keep that outside the office and I'll, I'll often go, you know, bounce up and down on that one, listening to a podcast or listening to a book uh, just to get the lymph fluid going. And then the other one that I use quite a bit uh, is the power plate. I have one of these industrial size power mm -hmm. plates now um, that I, my, my wife, I think is getting a little bit annoyed. I need to build a, a little separate room for all this stuff she's, uh, <laughs> or the power plate is like an industrial vibration platform oh no we sell them on our site yeah, we've stretches sold on squats push-ups things like that so any of those things they, they do a fantastic job at at lymph fluid uh and and lymph flow so i would not neglect the power of vibration and of bouncing and i'll even go to the back of an airplane in many cases and just do the normal you know like the tai chi shaking exercise where you're just you know, kind of like this, just shaking every part of the body for a good four or five minutes. Uh, again, just, just to keep lymph flowing, uh, when, when you're seated for long periods of time on an airplane. So I'm, I'm a fan of those. And, uh, if I could throw out one other, uh, one other tip for you, it would be to embrace, uh, many of these movements that I'll often start my day off with. I'm, I'm a student of fitness, of course, and I know that I'm, I'm a bit biased and, and a bit privileged and that I have the ability to be able to kind of like, you know, study with and get certifications with, with a lot of the folks who teach a lot of these principles. But, uh, the idea of really caring for, uh, for, for breath work and the back simultaneously through anything that decompresses the spine. And two of the things that I do quite a bit when it comes to little movement snacks or movement breaks throughout the day, number one would be, I'd recommend that you learn how to do uh, the basic foundation exercises created by Dr. Eric Goodman mm -hmm. and described in his book, True to Form. Uh, myself and most of the clients that I train, we're kind of sprinkling those throughout our day when we have little breaks, you know, just doing basic what are called foundation exercises, which are fantastic, especially if you have low back pain. Uh, compressed vertebra, you know, any, any history of spinal issues, uh, those things are amazing. Uh, and then another form of, of training, uh, not training, but more like stretching that I do quite a bit of, especially when I'm in the sauna, it's called Eldoa. 
Mm -hmm. uh, E-L-D-O-A, a form of deep fascial stretching. And I think that there are so many things that we can do that keep us out of the massage therapist, out of the out of the chiropractor's office, out, out of the out of the office of those people who who I certainly think we need to take advantage of and see, but a lot of people don't do enough preventive care. And uh, I do quite a bit of this core foundation training by Dr. Eric Goodman, and mm -hmm. then some L-DOA, E-L-D-O-A stretches uh, for fascial work. And again, you know, have like a toolbox, study some of these things. And, you know, there are 30 different, probably more than that, L-DOA moves. I know three of them by heart. And I chose the three best ones uh, that, that are applicable to my body based on the, the Eldoa instructor that I had teach me these moves. And that, that's all I do, right? I choose the 80-20, the best of the best. Same thing with the mm -hmm. core foundation exercises, right? There's probably, again, 20 or 30 plus of them, a whole bunch of different workouts you could do. I just have 10 of the moves memorized, right? So if I get up in the morning, I can just do those 10 moves, you know, have them done within 10 minutes and my spine is decompressed for the day. So trying to get too carried away with thinking you have to do all of any given program. Sure. You know, I kind of take the best of the best and, and sprinkle it all in and apply it. Well, there's uh, only so much time in a day. And another device I just remembered yeah. that you introduced me to was the NeuroGrips, which are a yeah. challenging device. And uh, I think you travel with them frequently. Are you still using those? Yeah, the NeuroGrips were developed by John Bruni, who wrote a great book called NeuroMass. And a follow-up book uh, that utilizes the, the NeuroGrips called uh, a NeuroGrips, I believe is the name of that book. Mm -hmm. And these are, they're essentially push-up handles that have a very small surface that is exposed to the ground uh, with a large handle that, that either of your hands grasp that activate a ton more core musculature and kind of a lot of the smaller stabilizing muscles compared to a normal push-up or even one of these perfect push-up handles. And you can actually attach elastic bands to them and do a wide variety of exercises, kind of like a gym in a box. If you just want to, uh, if you just want to use those as, as your sole workout tool, but John's book, Neuromass, is really fantastic because I just got done talking about the importance of not just training for strength and super slow strength and isometrics, but also training fast and explosive muscles. And that's what his entire book, Neuromass, is about. Uh, you go through these bodyweight exercise routines that might involve an isometric hold. And then you'll do what's called a grind, which is like a super slow. So if you do that deadlift, you might do 10 super slow squats. And then you'd finish that up with like, uh, you know, 15 extremely powerful explosive squat jumps. And then you move on and you do like a, some kind of a, an isometric push-up hold, you know, where you're doing something like this, just pushing as hard against both hands as you possibly can. And then you'd go into uh, super slow push-ups, like a four count down, four count up grind. And then you'd finish that up with some kind of an explosive push-up move. And, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to this idea that there's one single exercise program that you should do to, to study a lot of these different programs, a pretty well-versed student in like four to six different exercise modalities or exercise programs and cycle through those throughout the year. It's a really good way to stay fit, right? So during the, during the winter, for example, I'll typically choose more of a strength-based program, uh, during, uh, during the, the spring, typically I'll convert into something that's a lot of times more, more kind of like cardiovascular fitness based during the summer, I'll kind of mix things up and do a lot more outdoors and sporting activities during the fall. I'm doing a lot of sports specific work because that's more of my, my on season, but, but basically the big picture here, Joe, and what I was explaining to people after I got done telling them about John Bruni's program is just because I'm talking about this program and that does not mean it's like the perfect program to do the rest mm -hmm. of your life. Right. Right. Well, you, 
what you want to do is know a few of these different programs and just be able to pull them out and, re and rely upon them as a way to stay fit uh, throughout the year. And you can kind of mix and match as you go. Yeah, well, good. Well, you're just a wealth of information. And uh, if you thought you learned a lot now, um, this is only the tip of the tip of the iceberg, Ben's breadth of knowledge. And I'm always learning new stuff from listening to his podcast and really is one of my favorite people to listen to because he interviews some of the, some interesting guys. Some people aren't as interesting, but most of them are pretty good. And he's, he's a really good, does a really good job at it. So um, he's really in a, in a pretty interesting position to acquire this knowledge and not only acquire it, but then use it and synthesize it because he's doing the right things and his brain works the way it was designed to. So thank you for everything you're doing, Ben, and really appreciate uh, the information that you provide. Awesome. And, and uh, if folks listening to the podcast, uh, listen to my episodes with Joe because we've done what, three now together? Three, I, I think, think so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and we we go all over the map, delve into a lot of really good stuff. So if you guys uh, if you guys like Joe, which I assume you do, if you're watching this, you should. Listen to <laughs> all right. Now, thanks. And I will see you uh, next month at Cal Jam. You will.